Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, good evening and welcome along to the latest Forza Italian football podcast. As ever, I am your host, Connor Clancy, and I've got the two usuals joining me, unfortunately. Vito, I'm happy to see you. I'm welcome along, and it's good to speak to you. Yeah. Oh, look, it's uh, always good speaking with you, Connor, and uh, even with uh, Kev too. But yeah, just good to always have the regular team. And we got that familiarity, just downside. I think with this shirt, though, I probably should have worn black this weekend. As we <laughs> delve into the results, I think we can all work out why. Did you notice the reluctance in his voice there, Kev, as he was like, oh, and, and even even speaking to Kev? Because oh, I had, no. you had introduced him. <laughs> After the hospitality, I showed him in Liverpool <laughs> at the start of the season as well. Um, I should say, I, I'm also joined by... Kev, um, how are you, mate? I'm wearing black, Connor. Who? You. No, I'm not. Are you not? No, it's oh. navy blue. Oh, you know, I wondered if you were in mourning for Samp as well, but <laughs> I'm in. I'm in mourning for uh... Roma's Champions League aspirations, and that's about it, to be honest. But the less said about that, the better for now, guys. We have um, we have quite a big pod this week. Two two very big results, big games took place. The first of them has just finished, what, about an hour ago. Lazio welcomed Inter to the Stadio Olimpico in Rome. They went 1-0 down. It didn't matter. They came from 1-0 down to win 2-1. And Kev, they're going to win the league. They could well do, yeah. I think they're certainly in the in the race. And I think it's brilliant that we've got a, a, a three-team uh, Scudetto race this year. I think if... I think if, if if Inter had won, then it obviously would have put a, a gap that you wouldn't really want to see. You know, maybe a, a draw would also have kept all three teams in it. But I think probably for the for the race, just just the race itself, a Lazio win was ideal, really. Yeah, I think somebody needed to win. I was hoping throughout the game that it didn't end in a draw. I didn't really mind who won, 
But I, I very much wanted someone to take all three points because Juve just getting that little bit of ground would kind of just make you think about everything that's happened over the last eight years. But Vito, how impressed were you by Lazio? Because we've we've said a few times on this podcast that they keep finding different ways to win. And they've done exactly that again. They did. And they were trailing at half time. So it's uh, good to be able to turn a game around it especially when it's against one of the teams that you're competing with for the Serie A title. Uh, they did need the penalty to uh, get that equaliser, but I think in the circumstances, it was uh, well-deserved to get both goals. Uh, Immobile could have made it 3-1 near the end as well, but Padelli saved his chip. And uh, as I was saying on Twitter with, you know, with a follower of mine, that... Uh, Probably this game, I think Lazio needed to win it more than Inter because this would have been a real confidence booster. And regardless that it was in Rome or even if the game had been played in Milan, I think Lazio winning in general, I think it's beneficial for them. And I reckon to beat a team like Inter, who've been playing like they have this season, I think it's uh, gives them a real boost and that real belief that they can probably challenge for that third league title in their history. Yeah, you would imagine so, right? But Kev, Lazio are now unbeaten in 19 Serie A games. I mean, that's a ridiculous record. Oh, yeah, it's a ridiculous level of consistency. But with how Juventus have been over the last few few seasons, you, you're kind of almost forced into half, having to condition yourself to, to go on a run like this to, to challenge them. And I think... Um, uh, Vito touched on the timing of the Inter goal. I think that tonight was a, a huge plus for Lazio because it was the, you know, just before half time when they were they were much the better side in the first half. They certainly started the the opening moments of the game really positively, and and it it would have probably you know, crushed maybe too strong a word, but it certainly would have been difficult for other sides to come back from that. Of course, Inter were on quite a good unbeaten run themselves as well before this evening. And Inter and Lazio actually had, before this weekend, the two of the three longest unbeaten runs in Europe's top five leagues. Kev, I'm sure you know who the other team is with the, the longer of those runs. But I've got to talk to Alistair McKenzie because we've spoken to him a few times this week. He made me a promise last week, which was if Lazio went and beat Inter, we could have a serious talk about their title credentials. So I am now joined on the line by Alistair McKenzie and I'm going to ask him about exactly that. Well, what a win that was, Alistair. And I said on the podcast last week, the celebrations on Palma were big and they were up another level or two or three tonight. And is that a sign that the fans and even the players fully believe in this title push now? Yeah, there's definitely a real sense of belief um, a real connection between the fan base and this team. I think it goes back a long way. I mean, I know you were talking about the game in Parma last week, but you know, this tonight the atmosphere reminded me a lot of the game against Juventus back in December when Lazio won three one. It was their first home league win against Juve for sixteen years. Just a kind of atmosphere as well, you know, it's a party base. Everyone's just having a, a really good time watching this team, and I think that's something that they've managed to create as a real bond between the team and the fans. And I think that's helped by the fact that these guys have stuck together for a few years now. 
they're led by someone like Simone Inzaghi, who's basically a Lazio himself nowadays. Um, and the unity that he, Inzaghi, has created in this group has helped build that atmosphere of um, of confidence, of unity. And I think th- the way he's done that is you know, as important as almost anything else in the success that they're having. Speaking of people who are playing key roles, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic. I mean, wow, what a performance from him this evening. Yeah, he's just brilliant. <laughs> I mean, Inzaghi said in the press conference afterwards that we saw pretty much everything he can do. And yeah, I think that one of the most encouraging things really is that he puts in these performances more often than not when you need him to, as in on the big big nights against Juventus, the game I already mentioned, 3-1 when he scored in that game, had a good game. And yeah, he, he was suspended for the game last weekend, so he had two weeks rest and it was immediately obvious that he was so up for this game, you know, just by his body language, you could see him barking instructions at his teammates, throwing his arms up in the air. He wanted the ball. He really wanted this to be his night from the very start. Um, I tweeted something about that inside the opening half an hour, and that's exactly what he did. Hit the crossbar, obviously, and the goal he got was absolutely incredible in terms of having the awareness to find that space and then being able to send the ball through a crowded box and and find the space where, where he can actually score instead of just putting his foot through it. So the guy has got everything, you know. He's He's got brawn and brain. He's incredibly technically gifted but he also can act as a old-fashioned target man if you need him to and yeah when he you know when he puts in these performances on these big nights is when everyone starts talking about him but um yeah he's been doing this for quite a long time for Lazio now and uh, we're not really surprised to see it anymore coming from behind to win they showed serious fight and once again they're showing that they can just keep going winning games in completely different ways every week yeah absolutely it's always a good sign um and it's something the Lazio didn't previously do i think it was against ren in the europa league back in october they came back to win that game and it was the first time they'd had any sort of comeback in any competitions for about a year and a half so this is something that's quite new for a Lazio team under inzaghi but um, again, it was quite interesting what he said after the match, which was basically that at halftime he just said, look, it's just little bits of detail, little bits of quality that is separating us from being behind and being in front here. And essentially, he thought they played with such confidence that they were allowing into the counter-attacks that, that ultimately led to their goal. Um, and I think that's got a lot to do with it. I think they are, now that they're on this run, 19 games unbeaten now, and they're beating, they know they're capable of beating any team in Italy now because that's what they've been doing. And I think basically they have such belief in their own ability and beyond that, in the system that they play with, the tactics that they play with, the style they play with, that they just think that if they keep going and keep going, eventually they'll get the rewards because there's evidence to suggest that is correct. So... It's one thing saying that and another thing doing it. And it's, um, yeah, it's been really encouraging to see that this team, um, you know, it's it's more than just simply believing they can do it. It's having the composure, keeping the cool heads to get themselves back in the game. And once they put themselves in that position, then see it out as well. So, yeah, incredible character. We can have a more serious conversation about this if Lazio beat Inter. At that point, things start to get quite interesting. Alistair, they're your words. 
So let's have that conversation. Are you ready for it? <laughs> well, I said things have started to get quite interesting. Things have got very interesting. <laughs> Look, I mean, I think it's time for me to accept what's your are gonna be in a race here. Um, yes. I still can't really imagine how Lazio are going to be capable of winning this league, if I'm honest. But they're just, you know, any doubts I've had about this team or anyone else has had about this team, they keep proving me wrong. And, um, yeah, tonight was another example of that. Um, going into it, uh, I, as a fan, from a fan perspective, would have been happy enough with a draw, to be honest. So for them to go and win this game, they're winning all their big games here. They don't have any cup distractions whatsoever left. They can focus entirely on the league. I don't think they'll be able to win every game from now into the rest of the season or even keep the unbeaten run going. But, you know, this this team just fills me with such confidence now. Um, and I think that's the, the really telling thing and the difference between this team and, and previous versions under Inzaghi and on, under other, other coaches as well is that there has always been a, a certain level of quality in the squad for quite a long time. But now we're seeing a, a, a selection of players, you know, unlike this this team has had for years and years, probably since the Scudetto years. And with a coach who's finally, you know, all his, his vision of what he wants this team to be has, has come together into one place. On top of that, the fans are fully behind it um, you know they're getting crowds of over 40,000 on a Wednesday night to watch Verona which is, would have been unheard of in, in years gone by so it's all spiralling into something which I said after the game it feels quite special it feels different from anything else I've experienced before in my time following Lazio and uh, yeah I think we can just see where it goes I mean it's uh, <laughs> It's uh, it, it's almost a free shot for them. They're not re- there aren't really any obligations, any expectations on them to do this. But as long as they're up there, they're up there. Um, so yeah, that's as much as you're going to get for now, I think. <laughs> well, Alistair, welcome aboard. That's all I'll say. Kev, I'll stick with you because Ashley Young gave into the lead, right? And I don't think anyone will have seen this coming. And I've got a quiz question for you. Ashley was the first English player to score against Lazio in the top flight since who? Since David Platt in 1995. <laughs> You've been reading off to tonight, I see. Uh, I, I, I saw the tweet come in as I was watching the game, yeah. There it was for go. Samp, wasn't it? It wasn't for Juve or Bari. It was for, yeah, it was for Sampdoria. Yeah. Yeah. Good memory. Let's just mm. pretend you remembered the, the 25-year... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, we've got to talk about Inter though on a serious note because Vito Young did give them the lead but they went and blew it and lost and I said last week or I asked last week about potential questions still hanging over this team to lose a lead like that in a game this important problematic it's uh, not ideal uh, trailing it uh, half time last week in the derby was bad enough, but uh, to lose to someone who is a total rival of yours, it's uh, not convenient. And also, from that perspective, Benedetto Zuri got to assess their total credentials. If they are serious of really pushing Juve for that title, as well as Lazio, 
then they needed to beat the Bianco Celesti. Uh, in this case, uh, it's more a matter of getting a consistent run of results from now on in, and that's probably going to hold them in good stead uh, from now on. Otherwise, if uh, you know if they base it on individual games and stuff, that might be a further cause for another slump, perhaps. I think it's an easier defeat to shake off because you, you have been beaten by a side that is arguably played better than you this season and, you know, also in this total race. I think if they'd lost last week or, you know, even maybe drawn against Milan, you know, that and then obviously lost this game would have been maybe the, the, the nail in their, in their total challenge. Whereas I think they'll sort of see this as they've gone away to someone that's in the total race with them a side that's, you know, shown a level of consistency that so they've certainly not shown for a number of years. Um, and they'll get back to maybe winning ways or at least um, get back on track next week. Yeah, I take your point. But having said that, they still, if you offered them, right, you're going to lose one of these games, they'd have taken a defeat against Milan any day of the week because losing to Milan isn't like, it's not that six-point swing. But yeah, it's, it's big, this defeat, I think. But Kev, do you reckon... Antonio Conte is flexible enough to win the Scudetto with this Inter team because he, he very much has his players and he has his setup and that's what he does. Yeah, well, in Italian football, that's very much what we've seen from Conte. In, at Juve, it was very much the same formation and he, he needed the, the players, he needed the, the square pegs for the square holes if you like, to, to suit the formation that he wanted to play. We did see some tactical flexibility from him when he kind of moved the uh, his chess pieces around a little bit at Chelsea. But um, he does seem ever so rigid, rigidly stuck to the, the formation that he wants to play. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, one, of the, one of the things that surprised me about tonight was that Diego Godin started, Vito. And I know you're uh, a real ambassador for young Italian talent. And they've got Alessandro Bastoni, who... When he's played this season, you could make the case that he's been better than Godin. He's been more reliable. He offers more on the ball and he, he's more mobile. And should he be now starting ahead of Godin despite the experience that the former Atletico Madrid player has? It's come to the point that he needs to start ahead of Godin. Bastoni, I think he's been more composed and definitely when he plays the ball out from the back, he can pick the right passes, and uh, he's also very comfortable dribbling the ball too. So uh, he had something a bit different to the inter-defence. Godin is featured probably two or three times in both uh, uh, Vieri's team of the week and then my team of the week, but I think this season, between his good and bad, there's been a huge gap. There have been games where he's defended well, but quite a few games he's looked like he's not necessarily out of his depth, but his awareness and reactions haven't been up to scratch. So I think for the long term, Bastoni is a much better option. And even in the present, I think it would be more worthwhile to use Bastoni because he is good at both defending and distributing the ball from the fence. Kev, Daniele Padelli had a bit of a, a shocker again for, for Lazio's first goal, the, the penalty that was given in particular. He kind of ventured out when he didn't really need to and 
got caught in no man's land and another sign that they're missing their goalkeeper. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wrote a piece on the uh, Handanovic's importance to the to the side in the in the certainly in the first um, half of the derby last week, and you know you you can moan about the you know the mistakes of, of Padelli, but it's not even as if they're bad mistakes. They're they're his level. You know, they're, they're what you, you're, you're going to always run the risk of him making a, a couple of errors of judgment. Um, if, if you've got that level of sort of backup for you, you know, even in the week, did they actually eventually sign uh, Emiliano Viviano? No, there was talk of there was talk of signing no. without a contract because they, they clearly didn't trust Padelli. And you think he's come in for a couple of games, you must have known at the start of the season that you were. Uh, you know, you were in a difficult position if you did lose your first choice goalkeeper, and then you were either going to rely on this person that is is not good enough to to be a goalkeeper for someone's challenging for a title, or that you were going to go to this market where you're looking at out of contract players. Yeah, well, they should have signed Viviano. Viviano is a better goalkeeper than Padelli is. Um, Vito will know. He will have seen him play for Samp, and he's he's always. I don't know. I've never quite fully trusted Viviano, but. I would definitely play him in goal of any team ahead of Daniela Padelli, whatever year it is. But I think that's enough on Inter because we've we've spoken quite a lot about them throughout the season and today. So I think we can move on. Juve are top again. I was going to say they stayed top. They weren't technically top, but they are now. They beat Brescia 2-0. And Vito, this is just kind of getting back to normal procedure. Pala de Bala worked a little bit of magic for the opener. He did. It was a lovely free kick by him and uh, you know, fantastic technique on his part. And it goes to show when you don't have Cristiano Ronaldo on free kicks, the free kick will probably go in. Not only that, just in general, Juve did decide to rest Ronaldo and uh, uh, I think Maurizio Sarri was rewarded with uh, Dybala starting and Dybala himself probably could have added a few more goals to this win as well. What do you think about the decision, Kev, to, to rest Cristiano Ronaldo? Well, interestingly, I only um, caught the highlights of this game and, and I didn't notice he was playing. So maybe that supports Sarri's decision not to, um, not, not to play him, sort of. Dybala was the person that seemed to be everywhere. Like he has several times this year, really. He's, he seemed to have shown a desire to sort of get on the ball, be that sort of game changer for you. They maybe after um, there were talks of him moving moving away when they were sort of trying to trim their squad. But um, yeah, it was it was just an interesting decision, just from on the basis that Juve don't play their Champions League game until the twenty sixth, I think. Uh, you know, at the earliest, it's 25th of uh, February. So it's not as if they're playing this midweek um, in the Champions League. Yeah, it's a strange one, especially because it's Cristiano Ronaldo, right? And we know he doesn't like not playing games. But something huge did happen in this game with Paolo Dybala. And I've got Dov Schiavone from Turin joining me to talk about that. Hello, Dov. Hello, Connor. How are you? I am fine. Good. Are you tired? I look tired on my wee video picture that's on the Instagram, <laughs> don't I? You do. We all look tired. That picture you tweeted is a bit 
It's a bit hard because I quite enjoyed the game today, but I look miserable in that picture. That's only because you were stuffing your face full of cakes. No, let's be perfectly honest. What cake? What cakes did you get? Do you know what? While I was eating this cake, I thought Dov's going to ask me about this cake. Um, (laughs) So I was trying to think how I could describe it, and it's quite difficult, you know, because there's like a hard, almost biscuit base and surround like a perimeter and then it's like a a creamy filling basically you know that like custard cream that they have there like Mm -hmm. that but a little bit thicker and then it's topped with like a a raspberry thing and it's like a cheesecake yeah but it's not a cheesecake Mm -hmm. very much not a cheesecake but it's in the in the design of a cheesecake if you will cheesecake styley is it but yeah, it's, that's exactly it. And mm-hmm. it's my favourite cake that they throw up at Sassuolo. <laughs> when I walk in and see that, I'm happy. I'm very, very happy. But yeah. well, I, I had a ricotta cake at Juventus today. They I had ricotta cake. cake. Yeah, it was like cheesecake. But except there was no jam or anything on the top. I was literally just like the pastry base and ricotta, and then that was it. <laughs> and was it sugary? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. They put obviously sugar in it to make it sweet. So it was nice. I had that. It was lovely. So you basically had an open canola. Kinda, yeah. That's yeah, all right. Pretty much. I could get on board um, with that. But it's actually like but then that that was like sweet cheese. And then obviously I had a like again, like everybody thinks Italians are refined and you can't do this that. and the next thing I had one plate of pasta that was like creamy mushroomy stuff. Um and then on the same plate a lasagna. Oh, yeah. Because they had two different types. And I was I, mean, I had some look, of that with yeah, cheese on top. So they had normal cheese and sweet cheese. That's good, but look, they're both they're both first plate stops, so it's okay as long as you ate them at the boat at the same time. No problem. I, well, I had the mushroom one first. So I was like, I'll, I'll eat them separate. I'll take it easy. Do you think people care about this? Probably. Probably. I've listened to other podcasts, and they care more about all the crap that people talk in between before they actually talk about the football. That's true. So that's one thing that Sassuolo are missing. You know, the catering service there is phenomenal, as I've spoken about, but. They they don't do hot food anymore. They they flirted with the idea for, for a couple of How weeks. How many weeks did they just for a couple of weeks at the start I, of the I season? I think I I think I got it once, to be mm. honest with you. But I, I didn't go every week at the start of the season. Um but then they replaced the hot food with the cakes. So do you know what? I'll take the cakes over the hot food. Actually, but, one of the one of the best ones was uh, that I've seen this season was Sampdoria. Because you know how I've told you they're redeveloping oh, the yeah. press stand, right? This was funny. So at the start of the season they had everything in like a wee hospitality section. So it was like basically like what the VIPs get. So it was great. So it's like hot food and focaccia and every, everything you'd like. Basically, it was everything you could not really could wish for. And they never used to have hot food. So it was great. It was a lovely novelty. But then after they'd finished the wee bit, they'd put it, they put it in, in like a wee office. No, it's not office, but like one of the boxes where you can see the pitch like right at the top of the stand. And oh. it took me two hours to find it. Nobody knew where it was until I seen people walk up right to the back of the stand. I was like, why are they going up there? So I went there, found it, and then they had it there, but then they had less hot food. So I was like, right, okay, this oh. is all right. Then the time I went after that, I'm like, right, okay, I know where everything is. It's all sorted. Let's go. It's better than what it used to be. They then didn't have it in that wee box room thing. And they literally had it in one of the corridors. And the wee guy that serves it, it's like some wee old, like, granddad. Is it still the guy from, from last year? With yeah, 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 it's the same guy. He's been there for years. 
Um, he's, and he, he's sitting there, literally, he had a crappy wee table and everybody's getting their coffees. He's got his jug of coffee and he's just pouring coffee into everybody's thing or giving them tea. And there's like three biscuits lying around. And I was like, what is, what is going on here? This is absolutely terrible. And literally everybody's like crammed into this like little tiny corridor. Mm. Like, what is this? It's terrible. Yeah, it, was, it was bad last season as well, but obviously they were still doing things then. And I don't know. But do you want to know the trick if you ever go to Sassuolo? What there's is a, the trick? There's a trick, and not everyone knows it. There's only a few of us that have wised up to it, um, mm-hmm. which is that the cakes don't see daylight before before the game. So you get down before the game, and you get your your meats and your sandwiches and your breads and that sort of thing. Sometimes you get like a cold pasta or whatever. Mm-hmm. So then you go up to the press stand, and then at halftime, we've got this new setup where there's a, a coffee table with. Every like it depends on which one of the catering boys is working, but but sometimes they bring out the sandwiches upstairs, so you don't have to leave the the press box, so you can get your coffee and sometimes your sandwiches, but they don't bring the cakes up, so you've got to go downstairs and then you get the cake at half time, and because not everyone knows about it, you can often get two slices of cake and it's, oh, it's clancy. gorgeous. You're going to be even more like Gonzalo Higuain. No, see, I justify it. Well. No, 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 because I justify it. I walk. I, I take the stairs. Oh, I can't bring myself. Yeah, everyone else gets the lift. I'm not. I'm not about that. I'm getting two slices of cake and walking. Ah, uh, see, I do that in Verona. I take the stairs as well. <laughs> I go up and up and down the stairs. Everybody right. else takes the lift because the lift takes a hundred years. I think. I think we might have done enough on this there. Well, hold on. I will add Roma and Lazio <laughs> in, right? Because I know about Roma and Lazio. Roma do fantastic care and it's lovely. You get every, everything's in wee individual pots for all the cakes and stuff. So it's brilliant. great. And it, oh, it's brilliant. They never used to have it, but I think like maybe two years ago they started in the start of last season they got it. It was brilliant. Lazio, nothing. Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised by that. We, <laughs> we know things Lazio. about that club that make it not so surprising. Um, yeah, Parma's bad. Parma last year used to just get a coffee and a cereal bar. Now they do pizzas, but they're terrible pizzas. And mm-hmm. uh, you can't get a bottle of water anymore. You have to get a cup, oh, which is annoying. That's not very nice. It's funny, it's funny right? Because um, obviously there were a load of uh, UK journalists who came over for the Derby. And this is this is a topic of conversation among them as well, about who does the best food and then compare oh, really? country to country. Um, and obviously you'll not be surprised to know that the UK smashes Italy hands down in terms of what you get and how much. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I've heard legendary things about Chelsea's buffet. That's supposed to be on a, another level to anything. But I don't know. Never been. Let's hope after that they get Chelsea in the next round of the Champions League and we'll, we'll scope it out. Well, are, are they going to get them? I don't think they will. Because they, they, they need to beat Valencia and they're not going to do that, are they? Oh. I'll see you on Wednesday after the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, indeed, look, right, look, look, where were you today? You were at Ah, uh, was that Juve, Juventus, back to winning ways, beat Brescia too. Ways, but yeah, it was against Brescia who were effectively relegated, and it wasn't. I mean, it was smooth sailing on the pitch, I suppose, but there was a bit of a problem in the fan in the stands with everyone just getting whistled, and Paolo Dybala wasn't too happy about it. To be honest, there was. I think it's been made out to be a bigger problem. Or a bigger thing than what it actually was. Um, obviously, like to be honest, there's always whistles at Juventus games. Uh, I think it was just today they were particularly loud um, against. Well, there's one I can remember was I was one Cuadrado where I think Juventus were on like a counter attack. It was like two on two or like or like three on two or something like that. And there was like, an easy pass. I think to either Higuain or Dybala. 
And if he just played the pass, Juventus would have scored. But he tried to take on about two players and by himself and fell over. And then the ball, like, Brescia got the ball and everybody just started going mental. Um, because I think Sarri's been there for what? Since since the summer. So you're t- talking like seven, eight months to try and get his ideas across and then the famed Sarri ball that everybody's expecting, this wonderful football that you were expected to play. And it's not really happened. I mean, there's been glimpses here and there and a few odd games or parts of games, but you, we've not really seen Sarri ball at Juventus. We've not seen this amazing free-flowing attacking football that's, that you read a thousand passes a game and it's brilliant on the eye. It's, it's kind of been like Allegri's Juve with a little bit more finesse, but not too much. Oh. And I think that's starting to annoy people, that they're not really getting what they expected from Sarri. Um, and they're getting frustrated because of it, which is interesting because obviously everybody expected this to be like the start of a new era in Juventus' history where they win everything, but they win in style. But it kind of feels like it's almost like the beginning of the end of the Sarri era. Like there's like there's even chat about who like if they're going to get Guardiola in like seven eight months after Sarri's been there. You get the impression that because I've been thinking about this quite a lot recently with all the talk about Sarri and going back to Allegri and it just seems so backwards and the the Guardiola thing kind of makes a little bit more sense because Sarri is then the stepping stone right he's. He's introducing this concept to the players before Guardiola comes in and takes it on to that next level. And with City possibly not being in Europe for the next two years, it, it's something that you could see happening, isn't it? Well, they, they, well, they went for Guardiola in the summer. Mm. Um, but that didn't obviously come off. Um, so Sarri was, was not the first choice, but... I think the probably I think the more thought that it's like they need to get away from the Allegri kind of um, style of winning two 0 that will do we win everything and we win the title. Um, they wanted to kind of like like you say get that a, a bit be a bit more entertaining and obviously Sarri was kind of famed for that in Napoli. Um, I think he did it at the second half of his time at Chelsea. Like the first half of the season was a bit iffy, but then kind of eventually got his ideas across to the players and he started doing all right towards the second half. But you've got to remember as well, Napoli took him a year to get the Napoli team that everybody remembers. So it's not. I think the the way that he wants his players to play is a very kind of unique style, and it takes time to implement. Particularly after you've got a group that's basically been together for like five or more years, playing the same kind of monotonous, defend, get a couple of goals. That's it. Style of football with kind of no not real. There's no real kind of what is Junese Quad there. It's just kind of just do the job, be mechanical about it, and win. Whereas Osari obviously wants to change that. And it, I think it, and it takes time. But that's the thing. Do Juventus give him time and does he have time in terms of the fans? And I think they're just, they're, with the whistling, they're getting frustrated, getting annoyed because there's just so many silly things. I mean, they dominate Brescia. Like, literally, Brescia had nothing against them. Even before Brescia had um, 10 men, like, they were camped on the edge of their penalty area, being a bit more dangerous on the counter-attack. Um and Juventus should have just destroyed them, the amount of kind of territory possession they had, but they didn't because they make too many mistakes, they're too slow, um, and there's just there's no real inventiveness. The, the only person who's got any imagination is Dybala, and he can't do it all himself. Yeah, well, they've 
there's probably an element of nervousness creeping in there as well because in what the last eight years they've only been pushed once and now they're being pushed by two teams in the title race and it's not something the fans are used to and the board are used to so do you reckon they're kind of getting a little bit on edge because of that they've got competition now well if they are they're keeping it well hidden um, Sari said today after the game in the press conference he said I don't get all excited after we win five or six games no, no I think he said seven or eight games in a row so I'm not going to start getting worried if we lose two games in a month mm. which, is a fair, which is a fair point I mean this season we're already more than halfway through it they've only lost three games Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not like the, it's, <laughs> it's like I think fans and just people in general kind of expect teams to be like Liverpool are in the Premier League so you just win in every single week regardless of who you play that doesn't happen <laughs> so I, th- I think we're going to be expecting a bit too much from 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 Juve they've lost three times are they going to lose another three times before the end of the season I doubt it to be honest yeah. I think they may be losing another one or two games but that'll be that the, the, the big test is the Champions League how far do they go in the Champions League? They should get to the quarterfinals, depend on the draw, semi-finals. Then, then you see, and then, then you judge the season whether it's been a success. They're, they're going to get to the Coppa Italia final. They're top of Serie A, regardless yeah. of how rubbish you think they are. They're top of the, they're top of the league. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like I, I don't really understand what people want him to do more. Like, if you want to play like Barcelona did ten years ago, then get Guardiola and see how that works but until that time you've got Sarri he's doing alright yeah get Guardiola and also get Andres Iniesta and Xavi in their prime and Messi as well <laughs> you'll be alright yeah. Aaron Ramsey and Adrian Rabio it's not really going to cut it and Juan Cuadrado no. it's, it's not the same no it's not the same is it on the same point it was funny Sky did it in Italy just, just tonight after the Lazio Inter game did a comparison about the values of the players in the UVA squad compared to Liverpool um, and had obviously like the 100 to 150 million bracket or I was like or 80 to 100 million or something like that like the big bracket then the kind of 50 to 80 then the like 30 to 50 bracket and basically Liverpool have got about 10 players that are like 80 million plus value you have got four and then <laughs> that kind of 50 to 80 would be like Liverpool have got say seven and Liverpool have got like five mm. and then that 30 to 50 it's like UV have got like 10 and Liverpool have got three mm. so it's just kind of like in terms of the quality which is obviously their, the values are based on how good they think the players are like a team like Liverpool has just got better players yeah this is it though isn't it they've got they've got that Premier League brand and money that they can offer as well which which makes things easier but I think that's all I want to talk to you about, to be honest. Well, there you go, then. I'll speak to you on Wednesday. Very good, you will indeed. Goodbye, everybody. Some good news, though, for you, Vito, is that Giorgio Chiellini returned. He got injured in the first game of the season here in Parma. He's not played since, but he came off the bench for for his pal, Leonardo Bonucci, and he, he took the captain's armband back. How big of a boost is this coming into the final stretch of the season? Well, this is an absolutely massive boost for you, Uwe. Although he has become an injury-prone player, uh, I don't think you can have any doubts about the tenacity that Chiellini has, the experience he brings, and just what a 
fantastic defender that he has been for more than a decade. I think it will help Bonucci to have his old sidekick there too. And uh, even for Delict, even if he's not starting games from now on in, I think Delict can still learn a lot from Chiellini and the way he defends. So to have Chiellini there, I think he'll give more confidence to Juve. I think the the defence in general will be better protected. But even, I think, having him there just gives that security at the back. And then for the rest of the team, I think it all just folds into place. I think everyone else from the midfield to attack, they'll just get that additional boost because he's just such a key player for them. I, I moved on too quickly there, you know, Kev. The whole thing about the Juve fans booing their team, what do you make of this? Because they've won the Scudetto for the last eight years. They won the Coppa Italia as well. What was it? Three years in a row? So they've won basically everything. And they were still top of the league and their fans are booing them. I mean, it's a strange way to go about things, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it shows the the level of your fan base where you have that sort of that unprecedented success for, for, for so long um, and you almost have unrealistic expectations. Um, you wonder whether particularly how, you know, if you look at how Juventus have moved as this sort of club that commercialises every aspect of their, you know, of their brand, um, you know, you, you, you've seen this in, in with other top clubs across Europe where they almost price out the older fan, uh, shall we maybe say the, uh, the the fan that's seen the hard times and um, has more patience. And then you, you, you bring in these people that are playing uh, top dollar, top euro uh, to, to go along to the stadium and then feel like that they can, they can boo because, you know, they've only won two nil or that, you know, they're only a point ahead in the, um, in the Scudetto race. And it's, I think it's a move towards that more generally across lots of what you call, I say, huge sides in Europe. I've never heard anyone say top Euro before. You, you can no, say no, top. I, I, wanted, I wanted to keep it, uh, you know, European. <laughs> That's a, a big deal for you in, in Portugal. Well, you know, we don't have to. You, you don't have to Americanize everything. <laughs> All right, um, Kevin Brescia done. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, we'll touch on Spau later, but I think both both them and th- them and Spau are done. I mean, you know, they haven't won since we came back from the um, the, the Christmas period. Um, they don't. The thing is, they don't look. They've got the talent um, to to win a game, but they don't look like they're going to go on a run like potentially Genoa have done in the last couple of weeks and actually amass enough points to to save themselves. So yeah, I I, I would say that they're they're done. You agree with that, Vito? Oh, definitely. There's only so much Sandro Tonali can do in midfield. And uh, we've said this about Mario Balotelli for many years, that he's got so much potential, so much raw talent, but he's rarely made it shine often enough or to put it in a good run. Brescia needs someone with his mercurial talent to take the game on, turn games around and win it off his own boot. But he's only scored sporadically and uh, 
uh, as much as I've been impressed with Ernesto Torre Grossa, I think uh, he doesn't score enough. And Alfredo Donnarumma, when he's been available, he hasn't made much of an impact except for that hat-trick he scored early in the season. So um, I'm not convinced that they can turn things around at all. Said last week, Kev, that Atalanta had recorded the most number of points from losing positions since Gasparini took over. It, it was 68. Now it's 71 because they they did what they do. Again, Roma went up to Bergamo and they went 1-0 up. Jose Luis Palomino basically gave Roma the advantage. That was a, clearly a tactical decision, by the way. Atalanta were fighting a breakthrough, so they knew they needed to go behind. So Palomino let them in. And then Atalanta came out in the second half and turned things on the te- on their head. And they won 2-1 to get a six-point lead over Roma, which is effectively a seven-point lead because they've got the head-to-head advantage as well. And Kev, they're looking good. Yeah, and Atalanta are looking... I think we, we were talking last week about them cementing fourth place. Um, as you sort of alluded to there, maybe they shouldn't have gone behind this week. But um, if that was tactical, then it was another stroke of genius from either Palomino or, or Gasparini. Um, yeah, they'll always score goals. They'll always score goals. You know, in truth, Roma didn't really look in this at times. And then somewhat in free fall. Yeah, well, we had Al on last week talking about Roma's problems and their crisis. But yeah, Vito's just pointed out the pass that Hatabor played to Palomino in that position. I mean, Palomino's under pressure and Hatabor thumps one at him. Just like, yeah, deal with that, mate. It was unbelievable. It's like what Roy Keane says the players at Manchester United used to do. They got a new boy in. And they were playing in the little, the squares, you know, where there's two in the middle. And they deliberately thump the ball at the new player, basically to make him miscontrol it and then put him in the middle for ages. And, but, yeah, it was, it was strange. However, I do think that if Atalanta didn't go behind, they wouldn't have won. I was watching, I watched the first half of this game in Bologna and then the second half on the train home. And I was sitting in a bar in Bologna and I said to my mate that, I kind of want Roma to score because Atalanta so often don't play until they actually have to go and play. And they were like, what are you talking about? Are you okay? I was explaining it. And it's like, look, they always come from behind and bloody, bloody, blah. Sure enough, they did it again. So they've got 45 points already this season. 19 of those have come from a trailing position. I mean, that's a phenomenal record. I don't really know how you, you train yourself to do that. Vito, is it just a mentality thing? I would personally address it as a mentality thing because uh, it's something that's happened repeatedly so often. Uh, the way Atalanta play, um, they can't play in a defensive way or just uh, get an early lead or shut shop. Gasparini doesn't coach that way and the team's not drilled to do so. So in that uh, instance, you've got to find different ways to win and uh, regardless of how many goals you're trailing by, Atalanta's style, I reckon, is also made for comebacks. You can play at that high tempo, and because you're going to keep persisting until you, you get the goals, that way Atalanta do in turn get the rewards that they want and deserve. I'm intrigued, Connor. At what point would you not want Atalanta to go to behind? Last the 70th time. minute? 80. The 75th minute? 
80. 80, and they then get two to win the game. I fancy them. Oh, Have you seen might, the fight? We, we might test this theory. The how are we going to test this? We well, gonna... it'll be nil-nil. It'll be nil-nil. You'll be playing, let's say, Bologna away from home. And yeah. I'll be barraging you with tweets asking if you want Atalanta to concede. I don't know. I'm not going to respond. I'll, block I'll troll you. you. I'll troll you now. For the rest <laughs> of the season. I'll, I'll block you on Twitter. I'll block your phone. I'll block you, Kev. Just oh, okay. out of my life. You, you'll only have Slack and I'll turn notifications off on that. Um, but no, they've, that 19 points from trading positions is the best in Europe's top five leagues. And something else that they're better at than anyone else is having got substitutes come on and score. They've got 12 goals from substitutes this season, which is the best in Europe. Well, in Europe's top five leagues. And Mario Pasalic did it this week. He walked onto the pitch, basically walked into the box, got the ball and put one in the top corner on a postage stamp. Vito, Gasparini's magic touch again. Yeah. Oh, it's it's an incredible substitution. And yeah, certainly one for the record books. But I suppose that's what uh, Gasparini can do with that team. So... Just it's nice uh, that Pasalic could come on, score goals like that, and it was a fabulous finish too. Nice curling shot. Now I don't want to compare him to say an Alessandro Del Piero or Roberto Baggio, but that type of curling shot, that's uh, you know that's the kind of stuff that he's. Uh, I mean they were used to doing, and good on Pasalic for scoring the win in that style. It's a good thing to score a winner, but when it's a beautiful winner, it just adds that extra gloss to the win. Makes I'm going to have special. to let people behind the curtain here. And I, I, I shouldn't have to do this. But you two, you're two snakes, all right? Stop this, what's going on in the, in the Skype chat conversation behind our listeners' backs. It's, it's disgraceful, carry on. And I'll block you too, Vito, okay? And I'll, I'll block you on Skype as well. And that'll be <laughs> the, the two of you on the podcast. You two, no! you amongst the ranks. It's absolutely <laughs> scandalous. It's the bands, the bands. It's not bands if it's not for the listeners. I, I can't oh, be dealing with this. Okay. It's just bullying okay. then. Kev, back to the goal. <laughs> Something that was overlooked remarkably was the little birthday boy, little Papu. He, he nutmegged Chris Smalling with a pass from about four yards away. And it, it, yeah. it was just so, so magical. Yeah, well, hopefully, because I've been quite... I've been quite um impressed with Smalling but since the uh since he had a wonderful game against Lazio in the derby he's had a he's had a little bit of a mare he left uh, the pass for uh, I think it was Orsolini to to put Bologna in front um the other week and yeah that's a bit of Papu genius there's a bit of gangly legged Smalling leaving himself open to it selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ah, oh, come on. Just give give the birthday boy his praise. Okay. All Papu, as it was good. his birthday. Um, and no, Chris, Chris Smalling was actually very good in the first half, to be fair. He, he had a solid 45 minutes, and then we've seen Atalanta tear teams apart often enough to know that sometimes they're just quite difficult to manage, which takes us on to midweek. We won't spend too long on it because they, they host Valencia at the San Siro on, on Wednesday evening. And Valencia are basically missing all of their defenders. I think Alessandro Florenzi's fit to play, which will come as music to Papu's ears. Did you fancy their chances in this, Kev? Did you see Florenzi's red card? Yeah. You know, I've always, I've always doubted whether he should play fullback anyway. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, Gasparini has got to be sort of focusing on that as a, as a weakness for Valencia, as well as the other emissions they've got from the defensive area. And just, you just go at them because, you know, it's, it's, it's unheard of really at, at that elite level of European football that someone will come back from a big um, deficit. And, and, and Atalanta could potentially, you know, have a three or four goal lead going into the, the, uh, the second leg if they just sort of hit them as we know they can. Steady, steady. Come on. I think they can. I need to be able to breathe for the rest of this podcast. Don't start saying things like that to me. Um, we're on air. Remember that. Vito, any thoughts on this game? Look, uh, I, I do fancy Atalanta's uh, chances. Uh, I wouldn't pick a big scoreline or anything like that, largely because, you know, it's still Atalanta's first season. So you can't expect them to just roll over teams like they have done in Serie A. But I think after such a poor start in the group stage, uh, La Dea in general have just grown as a squad. They've adapted a bit more, learned a few more things on the way. And I think also to have achieved qualification like they did, especially on the last day, I think that's good for their confidence and also their mindset heading into this round of 16 fixture. It gives them this belief that they can overcome certain circumstances, especially if they're tough. So, again, even if the chips are down, uh, Atalanta, at least in Serie A, have shown that they can turn things around and you know make sure things go in their way. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they do it again against Locher. I'm going three goals, Vito. We'll have a beer on it. Right. Three Sounds like a plan. <laughs> Can you guys relax? 
<laughs> on a serious note, Kev, in a one-off or even across a two-like tie, is there anyone in Europe that Atalanta couldn't beat? Uh, you do you want me to say Liverpool? I think it's Liverpool. But Jurgen Klopp, I think yeah, can... under under Jurgen Klopp, Liverpool haven't lost a two-legged tie. Mm. But I think uh, Atalanta could beat them in a one leg in one of the two legs. But I think Liverpool are the only team that I would actually dread Atalanta playing against. Uh, yeah, I I suppose we kind of felt a bit like that when the draw was made that we kind of didn't want the. Um, the unpredictability of of Atalanta, but then also we, you know, we kind of felt that them not playing at their home stadium would be a leveler if we had drawn each other in the um, in the round of sixteen. But uh, yeah, it would be an interesting contest if we both get through. And uh, yeah, say, I, I don't want that. I have to it would be the, the, it would be the pod one. derby. No, <laughs> it wouldn't be fun for anyone involved. Well, it might be for you, but. I wouldn't enjoy that at all. I'd go a wall if it happened. Anyway, um, Napoli kept up their kind of weird form where they win sometimes. And we had Ben at the Sardinia Arena to talk about this. Ben, Napoli have been quite an up and down side since General Gattuso took over. Did they impress you in, in Sardinia this weekend? Well, yeah. Um, I actually thought Napoli were quite good today. Um, what they did well was keep the ball calmly under control and when they had it in their possession they didn't look like panicking there were a few times in the first half where they were like passing practically along the goal line to one another um, and they were trying to play you know out from the back um, then we had Fabian Ruiz and Zielinski in the middle I thought bossed the game pretty much um, the demolition man wasn't uh, up to his usual tricks but I don't know it was partly the fact that Napoli were quite good today without being overly impressive um, combined with the fact that Coyote were probably very poor and didn't create anything you know, especially in that midfield area I thought they just got overran and um, yeah Coyote themselves offered very little um, so as a result it probably made Napoli look even better Gattuso didn't really have to do much of his uh, hysterical shouting from the touchline <laughs> so that's probably a good sign for them um, and then going forward, I thought Elmas, um, the man named after the local airport here, um, got off to a flyer. So oh, unintended. Terrible. Uh, had a good game, as did Mertens. I thought, you know, he looked lively, and actually he mm. scores all the time against Coyote. I think he's got like 10 goals and two assists in his last eight games against them, or in eight games against them. And um, yeah, they weren't. You know, they weren't fantastic, but they were good. They were solid and they looked good playing out from the back as well. Um, I don't know if they'll come unstuck because they had a couple of wobbly moments. It's, it's like they're not used to doing it. I don't know. Um, a couple of times, I think Manolas almost got caught out. But um, other than that, yeah, they were good. What about Cagliari then, right? Because you're living there. You, you watch them every other week for us. What on earth? has gone wrong there. We we had you on the pod properly just before Christmas when we were talking about Europe, Nangaland's the saviour, everything's going well, but they haven't won since. What's gone wrong? And with Cagliari, yeah, what's gone wrong? What's gone right since Christmas <laughs> time? Well, nothing. 
Uh, well, I've said it several times, and I think um, I've included it in my analysis a couple of times about the fact that I think they've just been found out and they're very one-dimensional. Um, that's one of the issues uh, I noticed today and I noticed um, in the last home match as well against Palmer. They were just very predictable. And I think if I was a manager setting up against Cagliari, I'd probably say, well, look, this is what they're going to do. And they do it time and time again. Uh, they play that little diamond formation, which sometimes is a is a four one three two. Sometimes is a kind of like uh, a diamond, a four one two one two. It's um, but they're always looking to get the ball out to the fullbacks. Um, I think they scored loads of goals, like eleven goals from crosses this season. It's probably the most. Um, and when the fullbacks are blocked off, the fullbacks today were Pizzacani and uh, Pellegrini and. You know, when they're stopped from playing, it's pretty much Coyote's game, gone. Um, mm. And I thought the midfielders today were very ineffective. Yonita, um, Nandez hustled and bustled and he's a decent player, tried his tried his best, but, you know, to no avail, wasn't wasn't up to much. Uh, Cigarini is, well, he's a bit slow and a bit um, laborsome at times. Uh, they really missed Nainggolan, you know, today. He's uh, driving them on and giving them something different. But, um, yeah, the fans have really started to turn now as well. At the end of the game, there was a real sour point. I mentioned it as well in the in the post-match report where the players went over to, you know, salute the, the supporters as usual, as is customary here. And they were just met with a chorus of boos, abuse, mm. um, even chants against them. So I think it's only a matter of time before... They're calling for Moran, unfortunately. But yeah, a couple of issues. One, that they're very predictable, very flat, have no plan B. And two, um, I think that when they're missing even one or two or three of their first teamers, the lads that are coming in and not up to scratch. Rog has been a huge miss for them, actually. He's very impressive uh, earlier in the season. Um, and Langoland today and I think that's about it. They were probably struggling for options up top as well when Simeone's ran his socks off. I mean, they brought Paloski on and he had like a couple of sniffs. One of them fell to him in the box and his chest control let him down, but it was ready for like the chest and volley into the corner. I think, uh, well, <laughs> hypothetically, I, I, w- I would have done that, but you know, <laughs> I'm not playing in Serie A, so what do I know? Um, aside from that, uh, I can't see it much getting much better for them actually um quite grim at the moment and uh, yeah like i said i don't think it's too long before they're called for there was a lot made in the uh, the uk media about mertens not necessarily pulling out but the deal not getting over the line for him to sign for chelsea and a lot of that was him wanting to break this this goal scoring record and i wondered a if there'd been as much talk in italy about that or whether you actually think there's any weight to he wants to stick around for, you know, well, he is now sticking around for this second half of the season and wants to do that. Well, Martins loves Napoli, both the city and the club. And to get within touching distance, having surpassed Diego Maradona's record to be, what was he, three goals off Hamshik for a while while he was at injured? Mm. That's got to be a motivation to, to have played for a club that you've grown in love with. The fans are obsessed with you to the extent that they call you Chiro because it's a really popular name down in Napoli I, I think that it's quite normal for, for Mertens to want to stick around and yeah I, I think he will he, well, he is staying until the end of the season he'll break the record and then 
maybe he'll be more accepting or more open to listening to offers because it's quite clear, right, that the club are happy to to get rid of him now. And I'm I'm just, I don't know. I I feel bad for him as well because he clearly wants to stay. It does seem like he's not really being given the choice. So in the summer, I'd kind of expect him to leave, yeah. And a lot of the reports over here for the last basically four months have been about Martins is going to leave imminently. So I, I did think he was going to depart in January. He didn't. So I, I still expect that he'll be off at the next opportunity, but it won't be his decision. Anything else? No, no, no. Just interested. <laughs> All right. Sassuolo Parma. The Derby. The Derby in Emilia Romagna. The big game in Serie A this week. The biggest game. Parma were without players in Luigi Seppe. Dejan Kulusevski and Juraj Kuczka veto, but they went to Sassuolo. They did what they're so good at doing under Roberto De Versa, which is to just frustrate teams and hit them on the counter-attack, and they left with a 1-0 win. Yeah, it's become typical of Parma's season, and especially of how they do play under Roberto De Versa, but uh, they'll be more than content with getting the points. And it's good that they do get wins without key personnel because, you know, a team like Parma, they're not anywhere near where they were in the 90s where they just had an abundance of depth uh, after recovering like they have in the last few years. Uh, I think to get wins like this are still very important and significant in their own way. And then Jovinho, out of all people, he ended up being the hero with the winning goal. Oh, unbelievable. Considering what's been happening here for the last two, two and a half weeks with Gervinho, for him to even be in the squad, I thought was a surprise. Then when I saw him in the 11, I was genuinely a little bit taken aback. And when I saw Cornelius put that ball in, I was thinking, oh no, Gervinho's going to score and it's just going to finish like this. Gervinho's going to be the hero and Palma are going to have to start liking this guy again but it's been it's been crazy I, I don't know have we spoken about this on the pod not no. right well Gervinho basically wanted a move and he was close to joining Al Saad Xavi's team out in Qatar and he basically decided that he wasn't going to train because he oh the move fell through I think FIFA stepped in and said that the move couldn't happen so Jovino was sulking and he just stopped going to training in Colecchio. And Diversa was asked about it in the press conference and he was just like quite open and said, look, I don't know where he is. He's not shown up for three days. He's not said anything to us. He's just, we don't know what he's doing, where he is, what he's thinking, what he wants. And it was a, a quite a strange situation. He ended up going back to Colecchio after his little protest and was training miles away from the rest of the team on his own. I say training. I mean, like, running about a bit. And then it kind of seems like it's not all his fault what's going on there. It seems like the, the deal that Palmer made to sign him in the first place, it's not that it's a shady deal, but it's a, a little bit of a confusing deal in that there are some questions still hanging over it. So trying to sell him is a little bit more complicated than it would otherwise be. And he's apologized to the fans and to the club. So Diversa's obviously said, okay, right, that's fine. 
and then he was back in the team today and he scored and he celebrated under the fans, which I thought was a quite a brave decision. Um, but they celebrated it. Some of them a little more hesitant to do so than others. You can see in a few of the pictures, actually, that some fans are celebrating it like any other goal and some fans are kind of just looking at him thinking, well, why, why are you celebrating in front of us? We don't like you very much. But then he was taken off and the Palmer fans all applauded him quite loudly, which I was surprised by, to be honest. And he made the point of giving them a wave and an applause as he walked off the pitch. But Gervinho, my impression is that Palmer still very much want to sell him. So if it's possible, he'll leave tomorrow. So he might still not see out the season in, in Serie A. But if he does, he's, he's out of here in the summer. There's no way he's sticking about. And to be honest, I think Palmer are better off without him. And once once Kuchka and Kulusevski are back, he's not going to be in the team anyway because he hadn't been for a while because he's not good enough to get in ahead of those guys anyway. But yeah, um, Jovino scoring could be the last time we see that in a Palmer shirt. Something that I didn't think I'd say is that Luigi Seppe is really important for Palmer and he has improved a lot this season. Last season, basically every other week I slaughtered him. This season, he's not been making mistakes, so I've not really had a reason to. So when he got injured, I, I was a little bit worried, but Simone Colombi has come in, and he was phenomenal today. Uh, he, he saved everything Chicho Caputo threw at him. And yeah, he, he was really, really good. And th- maybe there is some hope for Palmer, even with their injured players, but who knows? Anyway, let's go down to the bottom, shall we? We kind of hinted at this earlier, Kev, at least you did. Lecce beat Spal 2-1. They went 1-0 up. Patania equalised and then Lecce went on to win it. And it's a, as big of a win as it is for Lecce, it kind of condemns Spal. Yeah, and it, it wasn't as if um, sort of Lecce were all over them. You know, it, 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 both sides had chances. Obviously, Lecce took theirs. But, but that may almost what makes it makes it worse because they're now so far away from everybody else. Is it fifteen points? So they're ten or nine from you know from safety. And I spent the the sort of latter part of watching the the game sort of roll by in the background, thinking just well, where's Patania go because Ballard down. Well, he's off to Napoli. He's got that sorted. He's gone to Napoli at the end of the season. Oh, okay, that passed me by. It was one of those January ones that slipped in there. But oh, yeah. like Amrabat, which I missed as well. But yeah, well, Fiorentina basically signed a whole new team, but none of them are going there until the summer. Other than Kwame's there and Duncan's there, but they signed a couple of other players, I think, who are for next season as well. But yeah, big win for Lecce because they moved six points ahead of Genoa, but then Genoa went on to win about an hour later when they went to Bologna and they won 3-0. I, I didn't see this coming, but something that I also didn't see coming is the, the word that I'm about to use to describe Genoa's performance, Vito, you're not going to like it, but they were genuinely flawless. Yeah, it was uh, scary to think that it could be that way. David and Nicola outcoached Sinisa Mihalovic in this particular game and the Velsinei absolutely lost their heads in this one. Um, they have improved under David Nicola as coach. And 
it might be too early to say this now, but maybe he could pull off another miraculous escape like he did at Crotone three years ago. So they have improved the squad in January, and uh, surprisingly, since Stefano Storaro's been fit, I think he's uh, put in some good performances. And actually, offensively, I think he's he's improved as a player. He's not just this uh, guy that runs around like a headless chicken. So, yeah, a lot of, for the Grifone supporters, I think they might have some hope. And now that they are just one point behind Sump, I think uh, that might inflate their egos. Yeah, it's getting tasty down there. Now, you've got to be nervous, but... Genoa's defence in particular was so good. Andrea Maziello and Adama Sumauro were fantastic. And it was kind of fitting that they linked up for the first goal. Maziello kind of had a, a cross-come shot that Sumauro was there to tap in inside six yards. But before that, they had just basically built a wall on the edge of their box. And Genoa being solid, it's a strange thing. They've, I think this wasn't an actual stat. I kind of looked it up myself, so it's probably wrong. But... As far as I can make out, it's the first time they've now con- or they've now kept back-to-back clean sheets in Serie A this season, and they've kept three clean sheets of the last four. The the one that they didn't was a two-two draw in Bergamo against Atalanta, and look, Atalanta score against everyone, and they still left Bergamo with a point. And Kev, Genoa are very much on the up, and Samp aren't. Yeah, I think obviously to you, you first got to stop conceding, and when we're calling this sort of a coaching masterclass. It was very clear from uh, Bologna being forced to take well, shots from just outside the area, just sort of long-range efforts. They were, they were having a resort to that because the defensive unit of Genoa was so strong. And I think Perrin, along with the defence, has um, something to do with that now that they've sort of bedded in after he's come back. And then you flip it over to Samp, who I think... Uh, you put it in the notes before we came on air, and I've got in mind just uh, the uh, the letters W, T, and F, and some exclamation marks because yeah. it was just crazy. It you know it wasn't own goals, penalties, red another cards. penalty, a soft red. Um, Sam just seemed to implode. Yeah, they did, and they imploded Vito against Fiorentina. It's not like they did this against Inter or Atalanta, or Juve, or Lazio. Fiorentina scored five against Sampdoria. That's troublesome. Very troublesome. I remember a few weeks ago, you asked me after uh, one of the wins, maybe it was after Sampdoria Brescia or another game, but uh, you had asked me if uh, Samp were starting to get back on track or they would be safe now, and then I was saying... The old one game at a time cliche that just got to take it easy until things are a bit more secure. And now it's uh, evident that things are not so secure, that we could be dragged right into the relegation zone. And to have our local rivals one point behind us, I think that's uh, one of many necessary wake-up calls. Yeah, I mean, it is it is really concerning. and. I suppose the only thing that's probably helping you a little bit is that Lecce are only two points ahead. So Samp have 23 points and Torino in 14 only have 27, right? So there's still a lot of teams who are kind of in the mix, but you need to start getting a few more points on the board because Genoa looks solid. And next week, I suppose, right, 
Genoa play Lazio next. Mm. And who do Samp play? Samp play Inter, right? So Inter at the San Siro. Yeah, it's not likely that either pick up points in that one. No. After that, Genoa go to Milan and Sampdoria host Verona. So it's, it's, there's a possibility for both or at least one to pick up points. Then Sampdoria go to Roma, which will be a big emotional thing for, for Ranieri. And Genoa play at home to Parma, which on their current form, you wouldn't be surprised if they got three points. And it's going to be really, really tight between the two Genovese clubs. And it's not a position you'd like to be in, is it? Absolutely not. And, well, you have players that are good on their day, but sometimes they have uh, very off days. I mean, Ramirez went from zero to hero and then back to zero. Uh, <laughs> Emil Odero... He has his moments as a goalkeeper, can make some good saves, but uh, he can also make some really horrible errors too. So particularly on one of the shots, I think it was for Vlahovic's second goal, uh, he parried a shot and it was basically straight to him to tap it in. Uh. So, yeah, it's very concerning when your goalkeeper makes those elementary mistakes and just the defending in general, very open and... Uh, it's uh, not good when your defenders don't know how to position themselves or they leave those gaps. And since Ranieri has taken over, one of the things that has improved since the Di Francesco period was the defending. But there have been games like this one here and the Lazio defeat where the defence can still be carved up. This is more embarrassing, though, because we were at home and also because Fiorentina are still finding their feet under... Beppe Iacchini and also with uh, Rocco Comiso as president, they're still trying to build something. So uh, this is why this defeat is worse than the Lazio one, whereas Lazio, they've been together for a few years and they're pushing for the title. Yeah, serious points aside, Kev, Torresby's own goal was kind of funny, wasn't it? It was, but I felt a little full of lad because whoever got it first, try, almost tried to do a back flick out of play and caught, caught him by surprise. And then it sort of bounces off his shin. I would have been apoplectic with rage um, if, <laughs> if someone had done so that sad. and made me look a fool. He, his response, because the camera obviously... Oh, Berezinski. Berezinski was the attempted back heel. Right, mm. okay. But the camera just zoomed in on his little face and he looked distraught. Oh no, and that was only the beginning. That was only for a one nil. Yeah, so I wouldn't have been distraught. I would have been raging. You're an angry man, Kev. That says more about you than than little Thorsby. But anyway, um, Hellas Verona went to Udinese. They drew nil nil, and Milan host Torino on Monday evening. So we can't possibly talk about that, which means we're finished. Believe it or not, are you happy? I'm happy. You don't look at. I'm off I'm to relieved. Get some sunshine and some Champions League in Spain. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll be off to some sunshine and Champions League in Spain in a month's time as well, which I'm very excited about. Um, but for this week, I'll have to cope with some Champions League at the San Siro. It's not a bad alternative, is it? But yeah, anyway. I, do you know what? I think I'm off next Sunday. So what I'm planning on doing is... Obviously, when your job is to watch football every week, when you've got a day off, what else would you do other than 
go and watch football. I think I'm going to go off the Bergamo for Atalanta Sassuolo because I've not been since they they opened the new curva. So I'm going to try and get in up there and report back from from the other side of things. Back back to the roots, Kev, in the curva with the ultras again. Oh, I As, thought for a moment then you meant in the Sassuolo end. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about with that. Um, I do. You're, you're trying to make a joke that Dobbsky only regularly makes and is based on absolutely nothing. But I'm used to it by now. I've developed a thick skin. Thanks, Kev. Pleasure, Connor. Thanks, Mr. Doria. Thank you, Mr. Clancy. Say goodbye, guys. Ciao, ciao. Bye, everyone.
Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.